0: There is a religious way to do things, and then there's a relational way to do things, right? Hopefully the two are the same. Hopefully our religion is relationship, huh? But so often, right, we do things religiously, but our relationship really isn't there. And I think this is what is being highlighted here. That is gonna be judged. The great harlot, filthiness and her fornication. As being something on the outside that is not on the inside. we go.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at cciechopark.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation.
0: Verse 1, of chapter 17. Let's start to Marshall through these, these verses here. Verse 1 says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now this reference to many waters, it's a reference to all the different many peoples of this earth. Okay, And so this harlot, right, it says, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And so... This harlot is representative of these false religions. We're going to get more into that when we cross-reference to the start of Babylon, the city uh, physically and spiritually, all the way back in Genesis chapter 10. We're going to cross-reference there in a little bit. But this harlot is representative of that false religion. But notice she sits on all the different many waters. And these waters, they speak of the different peoples, of the earth, and so what it's being described here is that there's a false religion that is controlling and sitting over all the different peoples of this earth, and we know this to be true, right? I mean, Paul talks about this often, right? All the different false prophets, false teachers, right? The counterfeit, as we've been studying in the Book of Revelation, right? Antichrist is a counterfeit Christ, looks just like the real, right? But what what's happening is that This great harlot has deceived the entire earth in that, right? So that they're worshiping a false religion. And so this harlot is going to be judged, okay? That's Revelation 17. Now, verse 2 says this, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, why does it refer to it at fornication? Well, biblically speaking, oftentimes, especially in the Old Testament prophets, they liken worship of false gods, false religion, to what? Adultery. So they liken idolatry, worship of false gods and false religions, to adultery. You know, the book of Hosea really kind of goes into that at length. But really, throughout all of the Old Testament, and even the New Testament, not as much as the Old Testament, but the Old Testament especially, they liken the two. And they say that if you are worshiping a false god and committing idolatry, it's actually like being unfaithful. To your spouse, because you're married to the Lord, right? And so by worshiping another another God, you're being unfaithful to the Lord. And so that's why the reference here to fornication. And these ones, they're being made drunk with this fornication. And so that's why the picture of this woman, right? This adulteress, right? Getting ones to partake, to join with false gods. Right, and so that's the description in verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, this is interesting. This woman, why is she sitting on this scarlet beast? Which was full of names, a blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So before we can kind of address why she's sitting on this scarlet beast, we have to identify who this scarlet beast is. Now, who's the scarlet beast? Now, if you're just reading Revelation 17 for the first time, you're going to be very confused and say, "Oh, what is this all talking about?" But if you've been tracking with us from the beginning, this should be fairly simple to figure out. This is the Antichrist, right, and his dominion. And this was actually spelled out in Revelation chapter 13. Actually, we're going to go there, and we're going to see how this is speaking of that, of that beast. Remember, Revelation 13: there were two beasts, the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. Now, why would be the beast out of the sea? Well, notice the reference, right? She sits on many waters. Again, the many waters is, I believe, symbolic of the many peoples, all the people groups in the different uh, places on this earth, right? And so the beast out of the sea, right, he's going to try to mass control through false religion, right, of all these different peoples over the world. And so I want you to hold your hand here and I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 13 and read with me the description of the beast out of the sea. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Okay, so this is the beast that's being described in Revelation 17. The interesting thing, the additional part is there's a woman that is riding this beast. And so, her being on top of the beast, the picture is that she is controlling the beast. How is she controlling the beast? Well, if she's ecclesiastical Babylon, as Walford writes, she's religious Babylon, right? She's controlling the beast in his dominion through false religion. Okay, and so that's the description in Revelation 17. But we identify this beast as the Antichrist. Now, we know that the Antichrist is going to come into power in the seven-year tribulation. And I want you to note this. This parenthetical in Revelation 17 and 18, it's not in chronological order. Actually, Revelation 17 takes us all the way back to the beginning of the tribulation period when Antichrist is going to amass his power. He's going to amass his power through false religion, through this one-world religion, I believe, this ecumenical movement. Now, I want you to kind of stop and think with me. When you listen to the news or you read the news, Right, this whole... Push about one world government, taking down the boundaries, the sovereignty of the nations. Right, open borders. You ever hear about that? Open borders. Have open borders. They say everybody come in. In Western Europe, that's been really kind of already done. In the U.S., they want to do that. But what happens with open borders? Well, in their minds, they're creating one world government, so there's going to be peace. But then, what happens is that nations lose their sovereignty. They lose their personality, right? And so that's what's happening. But what's fueling this one-world government? Well, according to Scripture, it's one-world religion. Now, is there one-world religion? Is there a push for that? Well, yeah. You ever hear of the ecumenical movement? Doesn't matter what religion you are, we're all one. We're all going to go to the same place. And so that's really on the radar, too. Actually, even more so this one world than this one-world government. But you can see the two working together. Okay, so, the woman riding this beast, right? One world religion, right? It's fueling this one world government, which is in preparation for Antichrist to come on the scene. So we can study and know this as we've been studying Revelation. This begins in, Reve- in um, the time of the tribulation. Remember Jesus, I mean, not Jesus, but um, the false Jesus, uh, the false Christ, right? Antichrist, remember he comes in riding on a white horse, the first horseman in the apocalypse, He's not Christ, he's not Jesus, he's the Antichrist, but anti-what is counterfeit. Not only is he against Christ, he looks just like the real. Right? And so he comes and he amasses through this false peace, and it's gonna be through religion, I believe, one world religion, he's gonna amass this great movement, this following, and that's how he's gonna gain his power. Okay, so we see Revelation 13, verse 1, is a description of the same beast that we see in Revelation chapter 17. So we identified the beast. It's the Antichrist. And the woman now is controlling the Antichrist, and she's symbolic of this one world religion. Now, I do want to note this, too, before we get a little bit further in Revelation 17. Back up with me to Revelation chapter 12, right at verse, right at verse 2. Remember Revelation chapter 12, it gives these two great signs. And the first one was the woman, which is Israel, we identify. But the second one was this great red dragon, fiery red dragon. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, let's read that. It says, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his, on his heads. Now, it's interesting, Right? Very similar to the Antichrist. Right? And so what we noted here is that the dragon who is Satan, he has seven heads and ten horns. Now, the seven heads, we identified this, right? They are the world powers that have come on the scene during the history of this earth. Now, we noted seven different world powers, and that's these seven heads. So, who's the God of this world? It's Satan, right? So Satan, he appears with seven heads. Now, who are the seven world powers? Well, there's Egypt, right? There's Assyria. Remember your world history, right? Back in seventh grade. (laughs) You have Egypt. You have, I don't remember so well, but so you have to correct me. You have Egypt. You have Assyria. And then you have Babylon. Then you have the Medo-Persian Empire. And then you have the Grecian Empire. That's the first five. After the Grecian Empire, you have six for the Roman Empire. But then there's seven heads. What's the seventh one? Well, we believe it's the revived Roman Empire. Okay, remember we noted that. So seven heads. Now, there's ten hordes. But in Satan, identify Satan, the crowns are on the seven heads. And so they speak of, right, the kings are the leaders of these seven different empires, world empires. Right now, the seventh empire, the revived Roman empire, that hasn't come yet. Right, it will come in the Antichrist. He's going to be ruler of that. But then, notice it has ten horns. But the diadems are on the head. The diadems are the crowns with Satan. Right. But I want you to notice in Revelation thirteen, the diadems are they on? Or, uh, the crowns are they on the the heads or the horns? No, they're no longer on the heads, they're on the horns. And so we see the similarity, but the one difference. Satan has the crowns on the seven heads. He has ten horns, but he has crowns on the heads. But in the Antichrist, the beast out of the sea, right, the crowns are now on the horns. They've moved from the seven heads to the ten horns. So, we noted this as well. There's a transfer of of what happens there. Okay, so we noted this, that the seventh head, as we mentioned, is the revived Roman Empire. But there's ten horns. The ten horns are the ten kings that come into power in the revived Roman Empire. So, I want you to know, when Antichrist comes on the scene, right, the seven crowns on the seven heads go to the ten horns. And so it speaks of 10 kings in this last revived Roman Empire. Now, you have to study the book of Daniel to get a little bit more language on this. Now, we're going to start Daniel on on Wednesday night. We'll get to that probably in another maybe month and a half or so. But it's interesting when you study that, right, that this beast out of the sea, the crowns are on the horns, and it speaks of in this last, the seventh empire, the revived Roman Empire, there's going to be 10 kings, and they're going to be doing the bidding of Antichrist. This is important to kind of understand the piece together. I do not believe that these um, seven heads in Revelation 17 is wrong. I believe the seven heads have always been and will always be referring to the seven world empires. But in Antichrist's day, when he comes on the scene in the tribulation, all the world empires, their power and authority is going to go into this last Final world empire, which is the revived Roman Empire. And remember Daniel, he saw this at this fourth beast, right? And it's exceedingly corrupt, exceedingly evil. But there's going to be ten kings that come up in that revived Roman Empire. Okay, so I draw this to your attention. So when we read Revelation 17 verse 3, when it describes this beast, we know that it's talking about Antichrist. But this woman now that's introduced to us, right? For the first time, she is, seems to be at the head. She's riding this, this beast. So she's controlling this beast. Okay, so let's read this again. It said, verse 3, chapter 17. It says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So this is Antichrist, but the woman is controlling Antichrist at this point. So, the woman is spiritual Babylon, ecclesiastical Babylon, as Walward would say, which is religious Babylon. So, the empire that, this last world empire that Antichrist is amassing is being controlled by false religion. So, there's a great connection. And you think about it. It really is true, right? There's a push for one world government, definitely, right? All the borders being... Taken down, one sovereign government, right? The borders be taken but then there's also a movement for one world religion, right? Ever heard about the ecumenical movement? And so what's fueling that is the is uh is the one world um uh religion, right? This ecumenical movement. That's gonna be the spiritual aspect that fuels this physical. Babylon right one world government and so that's what we see being described and now it's going to be interesting we just read this we're going to talk about it in the parts it's going to be interesting that the woman is going to be destroyed I'll just kind of point this out to you notice right there in verse 16 of chapter 17 and the ten horns which you saw in the beast these will hate the harlot make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire the one world religion is going to be destroyed this ecumenical movement. You know why? Because these ten horns, which are the ten kings of Antichrist's kingdom, they're going to say, you now have to worship Antichrist. And that happens at the abomination of desolation. So, Antichrist is going to allow this ecumenical movement to amass this big old spiritual f- uh, following. But in the middle of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation, you're going to say, you know what? There's no more ecumenical movement. You have to worship me. That's how he's going to do it, okay? So this is what the Lord is going to allow to happen. So this is what's being described in 17, Revelation 17. It's the spiritual aspect of this world. It's going to be one world religion. It's not of the Lord. It's of the counterfeit. But then he's going to turn. He's going to say, now you worship me. Now, this is something that Satan has always wanted from the beginning of time. In the passage in Isaiah and Ezekiel, he wants to be like God, to be worshipped. So this is how Satan is going to do that. Now, the Lord is sovereign. He's allowing this. And he's going to use it to bring judgment on spiritual Babylon and uh, political and economic Babylon as well. Okay, so let's keep reading it. Verse 4 says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned. With gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Okay, so I want you to note this, the the filthiness of her fornication. Again, she's getting the world to join to other gods, right? That's the counterfeit. Now, it's very spiritual, right? As I mentioned, the counterfeit looks just like the real. So you look at all these different false religions. So many of them, they look just like the real. Nobody comes and says, hey, you know, I'm of the darkness, come join me, right? They come as an angel of light. That's what Satan does, right? He looks really good on the outside, but on the inside, he wants to devour this world, right? And so we see, this is the abomination and the filthiness of her fornication, right? She's getting ones through allurement, right? Kind of luring them in to join with her. To join with these other gods. It, it speaks of an adulterous affair, right? That's what an adulteress does, right? It lures the spouse away, right? So that they can be joined to what? Uh, to corruption. So this is what this woman is doing, this harlot, right? And this is the picture, right? Says, and on her forehead. A name was written, mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And so this is what's happened from the beginning of time too, right? The false religion is trying to what? It's trying to kill the true religion. And so all the different martyrs of the church, right? All the prophets, when you think about it, most of them were martyred for their faith. Even in the New Testament, even today, if you stand for the one true living God, so many are being killed for their faith today, even today. And, and so we see as you join to this harlot, right, you're joining to the blood of the saints because the false is always trying to, to dismantle the real. I want to read you this is a comment by Walvert. And then we're going to go to some cross-references on Babylon. Walward writes this, he says, false religion is always the worst enemy of true religion. <laughs> Isn't that true? You know, it's not that person who's never heard or never read the Bible, right? They're a clean slate. Actually, if you get one of those, chances are they're going to come to be believers. It's the ones that have learned all this false stuff, all this, all this darkness, right? But they look pretty religious, right? They've been given 99% of the truth, and that 1% is keeping them in the darkness, Those are the ones that are hardest to reach. And so it is true. It says false religion is always the worst enemy of true religion. And then he goes on to write, the picture of the woman as utterly evil signifies the spiritual adultery of those who outwardly and religiously seem to be joined to the true God, but who are untrue to him. Isn't that that right on the mark? This woman, she's evil because it signifies the spiritual adultery of those who look like Christians, but are not. Outwardly. Remember the uh, parable uh, in uh, Matthew 13 of the wheat and the tear. Why did the Lord say, don't pull the tares up? Because they look just like the wheat. And you know what? You're not going to be able to discern. Just let me take care of it at the end of the age. So they look just like the real. That's the challenge. And so this woman who lures people in, okay. she has the truth most of the time, but really that 1% is leading them to destruction. Now, this whole aspect of Babylon being a picture of the world, I want to take you to a place in Genesis, Genesis chapter 10, where the origins of Babylon began, okay? Did you ever hear the Tower of Babel? Happened in Babylon, okay? So go with me to Genesis chapter 10. I want to read you some cross-references real quickly, how Babylon was constructed, who constructed it, and um, what their desire was all the way from the beginning there. Okay, so Genesis chapter 10. I want to take you to verse 8. I want to read from verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. Genesis chapter 10. All the way back. This is when Babylon was constructed. It was built by a guy named Nimrod. How many know what Nimrod is? Ever been called a Nimrod? Are you cute? not a compliment, okay? All right, it said, verse 8, it says, Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth, verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, verse 10, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, right there, Nimrod, beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and then go on, skip down to verse 11, it says, from that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh. Now, it's interesting, right? Babylon and Assyria, they're always at odds with Israel, aren't they? So you can sense the spiritual tension, right? The darkness versus what? The light. And Nineveh is the capital of of Assyria. Now, I want you to skip down with me to chapter 11. This is when they built the Tower of Babel. Let's go to chapter 11, verse 4. It says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. Now, notice. Notice the us and ourselves. What is that rooted in? Me, myself, and I. Did right. close? Notice it says, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. I'm pretty self-centered, right? You see, that's the root of false religion. Even though it sounds really good, The root of false religion is self. How can I bless myself? And isn't that the root of Satan? I want to be worshipped as God. Me, me. Me, myself, and I. And it's a very subtle thing, right? You can even cloak yourself with a big Bible. You can even wear this kind of elaborate robe. Pray in the King James and still be worshipping yourself. Matter of fact, I think there's a name for that, right? It's called a Pharisee a Sadducee, and Jesus had some harsh words. I believe it's Matthew chapter 23 or so. I believe that's it. The whole chapter, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, woe to you, we're going to actually refer to that toward the end. But it's interesting, right? This is what false religion does. It, it, It worships self. And so it comes, it's cloaked in a lot of spiritual words on the outside. But really, it's a worship of self. Now, what's the remedy of that? Notice in verse 7, he says, Come, let us down. Let us go down. And they're confused the language that they may not understand one another's speech. What's he talking about? He's talking about what? How we can remedy this. So what the Lord did when he says, Let us go down and they are confused what the Lord did is that what he scattered them by confusing their language so that they wouldn't unite they wouldn't become a one world government and they wouldn't become a one world religion to reach up to heaven you see what their desire is in verse 4 it says let us build ourselves a city a one world government and a tower whose top is in the heavens a one world religion let us make a name for ourselves that's rooted in self lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And so what did the Lord do? He scattered them. He confused their languages. He kept them separate. Now it's interesting, what are people trying to do today? They're to gather people, right? One world government, and one world religion. But the Lord scattered it because he knew. He knew the desire to serve South. Now, what's interesting, what's the inverse of Babel, you know. I like to kind of think it's it's Pentecost. It was a foretaste of that. What happened at Pentecost? He started to unite the languages in what in the speaking in tongues, interpretations. I believe that's a foretaste of when he returns. You know, we're all going to understand each other, but it's not going to be a one world religion worshiping Satan, the God of this world. It's going to be a one world religion worshiping the king of kings the lord of lords it's gonna be in the millennial kingdom Thanks. isn't that interesting and so we look at these passages here babel right all the way from the beginning right and that's why judgment upon babylon it's the judgment upon this world now nimrod was the one who created Babylon, but who is nimrod's wife a woman named simaramis Now, it's not listed in the Bible, but you have to go to extra biblical resources there. And there's a lot of uh, writings on that. And, you know, Dr. Walvoord, you know, if you want to uh, get a good commentary on Revelation, this is a really good one. It's by John F. Walvoord. And he's pretty much the, uh, I would say kind of the um, the prominent one in his dispensational view of end times. And so um, in his um, in his uh, uh, commentary here, he goes into um, um, Nimrod's wife, which is Simiramis. And Simiramis has a son named Tammuz. Now it's interesting. This is the whole start of these Babylonian mystery religions. And really you can kind of funnel down all false religions come from there. And so this woman, Simiramis, she claimed to have a miraculous birth. Sound familiar? It's a false what? Birth of Jesus. And she's worshipped because of that. Sound sound familiar? And so she has this son named Tammuz, who was miraculously born. And then Tammuz is born as a savior of his people. Sound familiar? Yeah. It's a counterfeit, isn't it? And then Tammuz was said to die He was actually killed by a wild wild beast, but then he was resuscitated. He came alive. again. not familiar? That's a counterfeit. And so you can study these, right? In historical accounts, ancient historical accounts, you can study this, and it became a worship, not only of Tammuz, but a worship of Simurabas, the woman who gave birth. It's kind of interesting. These are counterfeits. And so you can circle all the way back to Genesis. This is the origin of false religion. And so when you now turn back to Revelation chapter 17, you can see the reference, this parenthetical, getting into more detail on judgment upon spiritual Babylon, ecclesiastical Babylon, because they go hand in hand with what? Political Babylon, which is judged in Revelation chapter 18. Okay, so... Let's pick up at verse 7. It says, But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and the ten horns. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. He's describing the beast, right? The woman is Controlling the beast at this point, riding the beast, right? This would be the Antichrist. Now, I want you to notice this. The beast which you saw was, that you saw was, and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit. This is where the Antichrist comes. Comes out of the bottomless pit, right? The spirit of the Antichrist, and it says, goes to perdition. You know, the Antichrist, he's going to be the first person that gets into Gehenna. And we noted this, the doctrine of hell. Is anybody in Gehenna now? Nobody's in hell now. That's the part of hell. People think, well, Satan lives in hell. No, he doesn't. Or Satan roams. He roams this earth, deceiving people. And he has access to heaven to accuse him of the brethren. Satan is not in hell. Nobody's in Gehenna now. And Antichrist will be the first one. It's going to be at the end of the tribulation, at the Battle of Armageddon with a sea. They're going to be cast, him and the false prophet, into the They're going to be the first two there. Say no, get there at the end of the millennial kingdom. Thanks
1: again for joining us on our podcast of Calvary Chapel, Echo Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching, and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccecopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David. May God be the glory.